Thank you, Calvary Christian School. Thank you, Janelle Burris, who does a great job leading our children and thankful for our Christian school. I like to say that uh, each day, Monday through Friday, we have probably about a thousand people that are passing through our premises here parents, uh, grandparents, children, our preschool or elementary age school or middle school. We're thankful for all that God is doing, and it gives us great opportunities to be able to express the love of Jesus across all cultures and generations. And so this morning, we're continuing with our theme, and you have an outline that's in your bulletin that is exactly like the one that I have in my hand. At the very top of this outline, we see the visionary statement we've been talking about for the month of November, and we'll wrap that up next Sunday morning at 10 o'clock as we gather together. And at the top, you see our vision statement states this way. Calvary seeks to be a church family that is better together, being changed by the gospel. And here is the emphasis for this morning in the bold print, to love like Jesus across all cultures and generations. So we look forward to that opportunity. I'm Pastor Dave Mitchell, and we welcome you once again as we have an opportunity to explore the ways that we can make the love of Jesus across all cultures and generations. This morning, I saw this uh, statement on the... uh, Uh, top of one of the uh, news broadcasts, and it says, after this election, can we love our neighbors, in parentheses, even if we are polar political opposites? Wow, that's on the news media. It's written by uh, Karen Elman. She has written this book. It's called uh, Listen and Love and Repeat. Listen, Love, and Repeat. Haven't read the book. Can't recommend it necessarily, but it's an intriguing topic that she brings up. And so here is in the secular media asking the question, can we really love our neighbors? It's so timely because that's exactly what we're talking about today. In the passage here in Luke chapter 10, a lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test. And it's interesting, the statement about loving the Lord God and loving your neighbor came out of a challenge. It came out of a polemic. It came out of those polar opposites of a political power base that is trying to undermine Jesus. The scribes, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all the political powers of the Jewish system in Jesus' day, there was a lot of polarity. There was a lot of opposition. There was division. There was fighting. And ultimately, it led to the death of Jesus Christ. So in the midst of that kind of conflict, a lawyer steps up and wants to test Jesus, wants to challenge Jesus as to who he is. Is he really the Messiah? And the teacher said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And the lawyer knew the truth. The problem for most of us isn't that we don't know the truth. It's that we can't practice the truth. The lawyer then says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all of your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus then sums it up. He said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you'll live. So it's just that simple. So he's inviting us into this loving relationship. A little bit later, just hours before his death, he has all of his disciples in what is known as the upper room. They're gathered together, and he's washing their feet. One of those disciples whose feet he washed was a fellow by the name of Judas Iscariot. And even in doing that, hours before Judas' betrayal, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love 
one another. Why? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. So how do we make people know that we're followers of Jesus? By out-arguing them? By having finer apologetic truths that we can sort of deliver and and, uh, sort of stump them with what we know and we think they don't know? Jesus said, I just want you to go out there and love people. And I don't care who they are. I don't care where they came from. I don't care what sins they committed. I don't care what their status is. I just want you to love them. And they will be surprised that you would do that to them. So Jesus simply puts it before us. He doesn't ask us to compromise what we believe. He simply asks us to act in a loving way. It can be hard. Here are some of the challenges, some of the barriers, some of the obstacles that get in our way. And I have references behind each one. It's on your outline. You can look it up another time. But there are social class differences, and James says don't let that get in your way. There are ethnic and racial differences that we'll experience in Paul and Ephesians and John 4. Don't let that be a barrier to your loving other people. There are traditions, there are convictions, there are opinions that we have, and we've got a lot of convictions that we believe that go all the way back to the Garden of Eden about things like marriage and about uh, holiness before God. But it shouldn't let that get the way as a barrier to loving other people. There are age differences that can happen. And as I get older, I'm recognizing there are age differences. It's interesting, I was watching the USC uh, Pummel, uh, UCLA, last night. <laughs> and it's interesting, a, a TV commercial came on. And it's for Xfinity. Did I just lose half of you uh, with that statement? <laughs> I love you, and I'm just asking you to love me anyways. There's a TV commercial that came on for a TV. Xfinity is the TV. And it starts out by saying, and uh, people are writing on, uh, I don't know if it's Instagram or Facebook or their Twitter account. They're saying, I'm going to medieval land. I'm going to the gates of hell. And as it turns out, they're going to grandma's house. And why did they say that? Because grandma doesn't have Wi-Fi. And so they were bemoaning the fact that they had to go to grandma's house who doesn't have Wi-Fi. Well, wham, well grandma's on, on Twitter, and she sees it. And so she and grandpa, they go buy an Xfinity TV set and set, set up wireless, blows away the little granddaughter when she walks in and says, wow, grandma, you got Wi-Fi. Well, I'm not trying to sell TV sets here, but I am trying to show that there is sort of a bias And when we talk about going to grandma's house, and she doesn't have all the technology today, there's kind of a cultural breakdown of relationships there. And we're dependent upon certain things. And so either we don't have it quite right or we have too much. Either way, there are age differences, and we have these biases that we can have against other people. And there are other areas as well. And this morning, what we want to do are two things. First of all, there are sometimes opportunities for us to be spontaneously loving someone that we come across who's in need. Matt Doan's going to come and talk about that for a little bit. And then also, we should be intentional in reaching out to those that we believe that need the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And I'll talk about that after Matt Doan gets done. So I'm going to invite Matt to come on up here as he helps us to understand the spontaneous opportunities we have to love those in need. Let's welcome Matt Doan. Come on up to the big platform here. Hey, take this, flip to the inside page. 
and then with your other hand, or however you can do it, turn to the great gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke 10, land on verse 30. I love hearing pages and phones scroll. I guess you can't hear phones scroll, but I love seeing it. (laughs) I'm going to start a few verses earlier in verse 27, but catch up with me when I hit verse 30. It's a parable that may be familiar to many of us. It says this in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, or I'll start in 25. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, and this is Jesus' words now, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And the lawyer, he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But then wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, this is the lawyer talking, who is my neighbor? And then verse 30, follow along with me here. Jesus replied and he said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now Jerusalem, if you've never been there, uh, in the city now, it's 3,000 elevation feet to get down to the area of Jericho. So it's going down. It's about maybe a 15-mile hike or walk. If you're moving quickly, you could probably do it in about eight hours. So a guy is taking this eight-hour walk. Verse 30 continues, And he fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to that place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt, what does your Bible say? Compassion, or it might say mercy. Verse 34, and he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Then Jesus turns to the lawyer and those that were listening in, verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And the lawyer said, and this is such great lawyer speak, the one who showed mercy to him. He couldn't even get out the words, the... the, Samaritan. (laughs) He just said that guy. Then Jesus said to him, listen to these last lines in the NASB. This is what it says. Go and do the same. Might say go and do likewise too in your version. We've heard this story, but let me even make it a little bit more weightier in our lives. Let me modernize it just a bit. Give me a little allowance with that because it doesn't translate perfectly. But imagine that you... This morning, rode your bike to church. Anybody do that? A couple of us, well done. Uh, You rode your bike to church, and you're on Tustin Avenue, which is out here, and uh, you pass Claim Jumper, you pass Black Angus, getting hungry, and uh, you're heading towards church, and all of a sudden, something happens. Uh, You fall down. You roll over to the sidewalk to get out of the road. 
you are injured badly. You're in a semi-conscious state. Not looking very good for you. And then David Mitchell. (laughs) I've been looking forward to this. (laughs) David Mitchell happens to walk out onto the sidewalk, and he he has a task to do before church. We got to get here. Starts at 9 o'clock sharp, if you don't know. (laughs) And, And he starts walking, and he sees you. And you're on the sidewalk, and at this point, you're bleeding profusely, and you're, you're barely able to even look up and open your eyes. You're in such great physical pain. And you see your senior pastor, the one who's loved you through thick and thin. And a little bit of hope rises up above the pain. And then Dave Mitchell crosses Tustin Avenue <laughs> and walks past you. To be fair, then Matt Doan, you, you see me come out on the street. I'm cleaning up from neighbor good. And, okay, well, he's the reach pastor. At least maybe he'll help me. That's his job description, right? And I notice you, and I too cross the street and walk past. What would you be feeling at that moment other than immense physical pain? It's hopelessness, despair. The best of the best weren't able to look at me and deem that I was worthy to be helped. And then the homeless man that you see every week when you get off your off-ramp, the guy who's holding the sign, and the sign changes sometimes, but you're always suspicious of how much money he actually makes because you watched a 2020 special, and you found out those guys make $75,000 a year, and they don't pay any taxes. That guy is carrying his shopping cart, and he's headed your way. And in your physical pain, you think to yourself, this is not going to get any worse, but it just did. This guy's going to rob me now of my, my wallet, my purse. And instead, he walks up with his shopping cart. He bends down. He pulls out a handkerchief, and he begins to tend to you. He slowly picks you up, lifts you up, Puts your arm around his. He smells, but at this point you don't care. And he helps you safely walk across the street to the hospital here. He walks up to the ER attendant who's there, who's obviously kind of taken back by this scene. And he says, here's my disability check for the month. Please use this as a copay or whatever it takes to get this person help. I'll be back in two days to make sure that they're okay. Can you imagine that scene unfolding in modern day life? Now there's some breakdowns from the parable that Jesus is sharing, but it's a little bit of the weight of what the lawyer and those around Jesus were feeling as he explained this story. A twist on the story of the Samaritan, the one that Jews would look down on, look away from, the one that they disdained and hated. This is the hero of the story. And they're humbled, maybe even shamed by it. I don't know if you can see this as the glare, maybe a little bit hard from where you're at. I'll pull back a bit. But this is a painting that was done by Kevin Davidson. He was up here last week. Kevin is an incredible, incredible artist. He gave me this painting a few years ago at Haynes in my office. And I love this portrait. I love what it reminds us of. So 
in the ethic that Jesus teaches here, we are called to be the Good Samaritan. As we notice people in our lives who are broken, bloodied, overlooked, pushed to the side, not noticed. There's opportunities that we have every day to display the love of God to those around us who are in this state. But I want to give it a little bit of a a different twist to you too as well, and that is, this is the gospel. You see, this is us, this guy down here, bloodied and broken and tossed to the side because of our sin. There's a holy God, and we are not holy. We are sinners. And so we are bloodied and broken and marginalized because of sin. And Jesus notices us. Jesus Jesus comes into our world. He lives a life that we can't live. And he offers us not just a cup of water, but living water. And we're healed. We're restored. We're made new. And then out of that, then to demonstrate Jesus' love, we can go notice those around us. And then sometimes... We're just the donkey off to the side. (laughs) The Good Samaritan story applies to us today. You see in your notes, there's just a couple of points here of how love is shown here. One is love reaches out to the marginalized. Planned Parenthood, for every adoption referral they give, they commit 160 terminations of pregnancies, abortions today. For every one adoption, 160 abortions. We live in a culture that doesn't value life. We marginalize those that don't fit. As Christians, we live a radical life when we go countercultural and we say every person matters. We will reach out to every culture and every generation. Love recognizes that these type of opportunities are not a burden, but a blessing. Yesterday in Neighbor Good, what a blessing to serve our brothers and sisters, to serve our community. I want to read just quickly, anonymously, because I didn't ask permission, but one email we received last night, just based on our, our service day yesterday. It said this, Thank you very much for all that was given to me and my family today. My car was decked out as a Christmas tree with all the little lights on the dashboard uh, shining. Calvary is sending us home today with no lights on the dashboard. My car is vacuumed and washed. And while that was going on, we were handed brown bags of groceries, my son got a haircut, and my mom got her blood pressure taken. Words fail me, and I'm not used to taking in so much. Thank you, Calvary. It's cool, huh? As we hear that, though, we don't say it's about Calvary. We say it's about Jesus Christ and reflecting the good news, the gospel of Jesus. But in that, love is messy. Love, as you see your bold points, is is willing to take risks. It could be inconvenient and uncomfortable. It can be costly. That's what we learn from this story. Came across a pastor who wrote some pretty compelling words here when he said, The goal of most Christians is to be comfortable. And I have to admit that maybe I don't wake up and say that every day, but there is a level that 
I try to find the most comfortable life every day. And yet, Jesus calls us to a life that's not comfortable, that can be messy at times, and it can be costly. I want to be completely honest with you. Friday night, we were setting up for neighbor good, and there was a few of us that were here late at night. It was about 11 at night, and I was walking uh, out to the parking lot, and a homeless man came up to me. He goes, hey, I just have a question for you. I'm sure you've had this happen. He said, do you have like a blanket or something that I could use tonight? It was cold Friday night. Remember, even last night was cold. I was wearing a jacket Friday night. I really like this jacket. I just got it two weeks ago. I got it for Eric Wakelin and I went to Europe uh, to do a missions conference, and I bought this jacket because I knew it would be cold in Europe. And I was wearing it Friday night, and I like this jacket. And immediately he goes, do you have a blanket I could have? I'm the reach pastor, you guys. I'm supposed to be leading you, right, as an example. I'm like, I don't don't think so. I don't have (laughs) have anything. I didn't want to give up my jacket. I was going into my warm car to throw on my warm heater to go into my warm house. Hopefully the heater would work. I haven't tried it in six months, but uh, I didn't want to give up my jacket. This was just two nights ago. I wish I could say I was months ago, and now I'm, I'm more mature. But I didn't. I didn't do it. This can be hard. Reaching out to different cultures, different generations, the marginalized, it's messy. It can have a cost. It's not easy. We don't always want to do it. But then here's the hope, the last bullet point. It shows us a love that's supernatural and reflecting God's heart. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And that gives us the ability to love people in a way that we don't want to, in a way that's not natural for us, in a way that counts the cost and still says, yes. That's what I feel like I'm called to do in my life. Lord, help me to surrender more. Help me to obey your Holy Spirit and then give me the strength to live out what your Holy Spirit's already given me the power to do. That's our call too. So what I want you to do, we're going to have Dave come up in a moment, but I just want to take a pause right now. Can we just pray? Holy Spirit, fill us to love people as you've called us to love. Just pray with me for a moment. Father, I thank you that you demonstrated the perfect love by coming into our world, dying on the cross. Not because we were good, but we were sinners. Thank you, God, for loving us in that way. It's incredible. God, I pray that we would be people empowered by your Holy Spirit to love, love across generations, love across cultures, love when it's difficult. God, start with me. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, donor. Appreciate that. Good job. Isn't it challenging when you have those spontaneous opportunities that come our way? It's difficult. I'd like to build on that and know that there are times when we need to be more intentional, and it's not always easy to do it. Frankly, we have Thanksgiving coming up this week. We have then uh, Christmas, and we're going to be with some family members. Some of us have family members that we get along with really well. Some of us have family members that have value systems and lifestyles. They have made choices. They're dealing with consequences of some bad choices. And frankly, it's very difficult to try to love them because you see the way they've handled the responsibilities in the past. I deal with that 
Perhaps you do as well. I'd like for us to look at a wonderful passage that talks about the intentionality of what Jesus Christ has for us, and it's found in Acts chapter 10. I invite you to look at Acts chapter 10. There in that passage is the story of Peter, a Jewish man, being challenged to go love a man by the name of Cornelius, who is a Gentile man. Now, in those days, Jews had no dealings with Gentiles. In fact, they would consider them to be dogs. They were outcasts. They were dirty people. They would have no relationship. It was impossible for a Jewish person to have any kind of a loving relationship because they felt like they were a compromised people group. And then God came along and says, Peter, I want you to love the Gentiles. And so he has this encounter where he has this vision of animals being lowered from the sky, and he's told to eat some of them. He says, I'm a good Jewish guy. I don't eat those kinds of animals. And God says, don't call what I call holy unholy anymore. And so that's the sum of what is happening here. In Acts chapter 10, God begins to challenge Peter to love Cornelius. In verse 10, verse 1, chapter 10, now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion who was called the Italian cohort, a devout man, one who was feared God with all of his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. And about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial to God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter, for he is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. And the angel gave instructions, go retrieve Peter. Peter comes to Cornelius' home, and he begins to have this interaction where Peter is so resistant to loving this guy. And so it's just this intentionality that we need to love certain groups of people that we find it almost impossible to love. And again, it can be a lifestyle. It can be a generation. It can be a different culture. It can be people with different convictions about things that you hold very dear. And it might feel like I'm going to compromise if I reach out to them. And that God invites us into a brand new world where we don't have divisions We just have people that he loves, and he invites us to love them. Here are some of the things we learn from Peter's intentional, designed love of Cornelius. For example, prayerfully ask yourself for God to prepare your heart to love those of a different culture and generation. Cornelius is praying to that end. God is responding to that prayer. If you've got people that you're going to be with on Thanksgiving Day whose value system whose lifestyle, whose ethnic orientation, whose social status, who's been belligerent and you're trying to get along with them and you don't want to forgive them, whatever it may be, whether it's on Thanksgiving Day, in the office tomorrow, in the classroom, wherever that person is, God says, begin by praying that God will begin to change your heart and their hearts so you can come together. Secondly, I love this quote. Barry Corey has written this book called Love Kindness, and I recommend it to you. It's ability to be able to love people who are very different from us, who believe different things than us, without compromising what we have in our doctrinal convictions. And he writes this, 
Living to be received focuses on how others respond to us. This is narcissism, and it's beyond our control. We won't get everybody to receive us. The idea that they like us and they think that we're terrific, that's not always going to happen. Living to be receivable, he changes the use of that term. To be receivable is to have a posture where I can relate to someone even if they don't like me. Living to be receivable focuses on how we open ourselves in a new and sometimes uncomfortable way for others to receive us whether they choose to or not. This kindness is within our control. Remember my dad always would teach me. He's a pastor for many years. He's with the Lord now. He said, Dave, there's a big difference between the position that you hold about anything in particular doctrinal or moral behavior, and the posture that you express that position in. And that's a distinction that Barry is making here. They won't always receive us, but my posture needs to be one where I am receivable so that my position doesn't get in the way of the relationship. And it's a fine line, and it's tough. And that's why I just saw this kind of love is messy, it's costly, it's confusing, and you don't always know when you're crossing the line, but I maintain if I'm going to err on the side of legalism or grace, I'm going to go with grace every day. I'm going to go out of my way to be more gracious than I think that maybe it feels compromising, then go out of my way to look like I am more pious and holy, so I hold back on the opportunity. We need to learn from Peter's example to view others through the eyes of Christ and the Bible to learn of his love for them. One of the things that God teaches Peter in this is this is who Cornelius is. You no longer can call unholy that which I call holy. So put aside the biases you grew up with, Peter. Put it all aside and begin to have a fresh look at this man, Cornelius, that I love Even though you have grown up in two different households, two different belief systems, two different cultures, two different ways of looking at life, your parents have pounded in your mind that this is a dirty man that you should not be with. This is what you grew up with in your home. But Peter, I'm telling you right now that that's wrong. So you begin to love him in a way that you never had the opportunity before in your life. I know it's a change. I know it's a big shift. But don't you ever call unholy that which I call holy. I love this man, Cornelius, and I invite you into his world. Begin to learn about him. Not compromising who you are and what you believe. Begin to love him the way God does. And be ready to get up and go. I love that in verses 19 and 20 where you read in Acts chapter 10, it says this, while Peter was reflecting on this vision where God was saying, don't call unholy what I call holy, he says to him, behold, three men are looking for you, but get up and go downstairs and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Get up and go. Take the effort. Take the step. Make it active. Don't just think about it in theory, but just go out there and love these people that you think are so different. Maybe you think they're wrong. Maybe you're convinced that their choice of lifestyle is sinful. But God says, just like Jesus modeled it, you love them anyways. Jesus hung out with sinners. He dined with sinners. 
He engaged with sinners. Because how can you reach a sinner unless you, don't, unless you have a relationship with them? So God invites us to get up and go. It's interesting, yesterday and the uh, uh, neighbor good day, the get up and go concept of taking that extra step. Well, we had lots of people here. And in the courtyard, there was the Hispanic prayer area. But in the middle of the courtyard was the Chinese, Chinese food people. You know, we have a Mandarin service that, re- that meets here every Sunday over here in Fellowship Hall in second hour. And Andy Chow is the pastor of that group. So Andy and his Chinese congregation, who are a Mandarin-speaking group, had brought many trays of um, Chinese food just to give away. So they're giving away all this Chinese food. And it was, it was good. They get it from this restaurant over here on 17th Street. And in the midst of doing that, one of the other groups that always meets here on Sundays is this little string uh, orchestra that Helen Weed leads. Helen is somewhere around here. There you are. The Prelude Strings Orchestra, is that what they're called, right? So every, every Saturday, I think you're over here in the choir room. Well, yesterday, they're over there in Sandswick. You're doing kind of a concert, Right? And many of those people who are part of the prelude strings are Chinese. And so as they came out after their concert, here was Andy Chow and his Chinese congregation passing out Chinese food to the children and the parents who are part of the concert. I thought, well, thank you, Lord. Whatever it takes to relate to, to express love with, to engage another group of people that can see people that maybe are similar to themselves, and sometimes we get along with people that are more like us than not like us, that if that's what it takes, God, what a divine opportunity to be able to give in a loving way to people who maybe they know Jesus, maybe they don't, but there's an expression. Maybe it's one step, but they got up and went. Get up and go. Do something so that people can see the love of Christ. We don't always close the deal in terms of salvation, and I mean that in a crass way, but there are many steps that occur before conversion, and those can be one of them. Be honest and confess your own biases from past problems and your need for growth and change. That's what Peter is learning. I love this one sentence from verse 28. God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy. That was a revelation to Peter. All of his life, he grew up calling Cornelius and people like him unholy. And now Peter says, man, I've been wrong. I admit I'm wrong. I admit that's my bias. I look at that segment of our population. I see who they voted for. I see what their lifestyle is. I see their convictions. I see the way they live, what they eat, what they drink, what dope they take, where they hang out on Saturday night. But God has convicted me that in my bias to uh, somehow restrict my love for them, I've been wrong. Until we're honest with the fact that we have biases against certain segments of our population because of how they live their lives, because of who they are, because of their social standing, because of the money they have or don't have, because they're homeless or because they live in a palace, until we can get rid of those biases and admit that I have a I have a bad feeling about those people and it restricts my capacity to love on them until I could admit that. I'm not going to make progress. Peter admits it. 
God's shown me. I've been wrong all my life. I've been wrong. And now I've got to confess that because I need to improve and grow so I can love beyond myself. Be open and humble and willing to listen and learn from others in different cultures and generations. So Peter asks this question, so I ask, for what reason have you sent me? What are you up to? What do you want to know? Help me to understand where you're coming from. They enter into a conversation. It's interesting. I mentioned last week, and I've mentioned several times in the course of our time here over the last few months, and asked you to pray about that I'm on the board at Biola University. One of the big challenges that we had this last year was this uh, SB 1146, which is going to have a stranglehold on the moral convictions and the student population and the ability for certain students to get Cal Grant loans. Because unless unless, uh, Biola changes its stance on the gay population and transgender and the bathrooms and all that sort of thing that's going on, Biola's going to lose a lot of money and a bad reputation besides is looking like a bunch of bigots. Well, that 1146 was watered down, and we thank God for that. But the author of 1146, the leader of that, was a fellow by the name of Evan Lowe. He's in the Sacramento area in the legislature. He was the driving force. He's an openly gay man who lobbies openly for LGBTQ issues. Well, I just got a letter from Barry Corey yesterday. And in this letter, he describes the fact that Evan Lowe, this actively gay man for the LBGTQ premise to support, be supporting 1146 that was going to be a stranglehold on Biola that will probably come up again next year. Evan Lowe came to the Biola campus to visit the Biola students. And this is what Barry wrote. California State Assemblyman Evan Lowe spent the afternoon of Wednesday, November the 2nd on Biola's campus. Lowe is an openly gay member of the California Assembly, chairs the LGBTQ caucus at the state capitol, was one of the leading advocates that proposed the SB 1146 that challenged the religious liberty of schools like Biola. During his time on the Biola campus, Evan met with four administrators from admissions and student pop development staff, three faculty members, and four Biola students. These meetings were warm and I think quite productive in showing Evan that Biola is different from the stereotypes he had perhaps assumed. Following this time at Biola, Evan accompanied me to San Marino for a dinner at the home of a mutual friend, and over the dinner we had a frank and friendly discussion, debriefing his conversations on Biola's campus and discussing a way forward. Now, there was a day when that kind of conversation may not have been possible. But this is the kind of effort that God is calling us into. Do minds get changed in a setting like that? Not necessarily. But is there a reorientation in terms of how we view people and how we relate to people and we begin to open the door for God to be able to minister in a new and more effective way than if we just close the door and says, I'll have no dealings with you whatsoever. I won't talk to you. I won't listen to you. I won't engage with you. I will just judge you. I will rebuke you. I'll write terrible things on Facebook about you. Or do we begin to open the dialogue without compromising where we stand but giving the opportunity to learn humbly, listen gently to those who are different? I thank God that God has brought a man 
with a gentle and humble heart, very Corey, to model for us what it looks like to humbly, graciously reach out to those who did all they could to destroy Biola. That is remarkable. God is inviting us into that same life where we don't rebuke and turn off, refuse to engage with people who are so polar opposite, but we welcome the opportunity like Christ to humbly, willingly listen and begin to build relationships. It's what Jesus did. Just read his life. And then we see this. We need to learn from Peter to be focused on the larger kingdom view. I'm not here to support a political party. I'm not here to support a certain cause that is going to have a lifespan. I'm here for a higher calling that goes to the kingdom work of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 10, it says this, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand you now that God is not one to show partiality. He is not a biased God. He loves every person out there, no matter who they are, what they've done. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Everybody is welcome, so everybody needs to be reached for Jesus. He says, this is what we're here to do. We're not here to have partiality about any political spectrum that we may have or any particular moral cause that we may have. We're here to reach everybody for the welcoming of God, the word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He's Lord of all. Our view as a Christian community is to have a higher calling of the kingdom of God. And that's where our allegiance falls. And sometimes people don't like that. We need to see that we are part of this larger community. Here we are at 1010 North Tustin Avenue. But if you begin to draw back and expand, you see that there are 1,740 people that are well within the reach of Calvary Church. And you span out a little bit for uh, about a mile out, there is 21,000 people that need Jesus Christ. And you expand a little bit further, there's 3.1 million people in Orange County that need Jesus. And it doesn't matter what their orientation is, their lifestyle, their choices, their 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 uh, terrible, tragic decisions that they have and the consequences that come with it, they still need Jesus. And our cause is not to rebuke portions of the population because we don't like what their choices are. Our calling is to love them, to welcome them, to be welcoming for God, to be receivable, to have a posture that says, I can relate to you and bring you into this relationship. And when we do that, there's going to be people who will criticize us. Notice in Acts 11, be prepared for criticism from those who remain loveless based on their own biases. There will be people who say, I think that you have compromised your stand because you're loving these people, expressing that love in a certain way. God calls us to something higher. Notice the criticism. When Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him. How can you love this person? How can you reach out to that person? How can you engage with them? You're compromising who you are. You went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence. When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. I love that that spirit. They come on. Peter, you're wrong. Peter explains what God's doing. Okay, we get it. He's beginning to love people that we could never love so that we can begin to love them too. 
At Calvary Church, we want everyone to love across all cultures and all generations so that we can reach some for the cause of Christ. There are no barriers that are too high for the love of Christ to get over. And we need to make sure we don't have those biases in our brain that prevents us from loving the way Christ loves us. I'm going to invite Josh to come on up here. Josh Simpson leads our middle school that is here. I want you to see one example of reaching across every culture and every generation. But this particular case is generation. Yeah. Josh, good to have you up here. Thank you. It's good to be here, Dave. You did kind of a special thing with uh, Fred Morris. Tell yes. Us a little bit so about that. our summer theme for middle school was whale done. And so we gave out these whale, whale done. Whale Very done, clever, like yes. the whale. Um, yes. And the idea was well done, good and faithful servant, where Jesus um, is saying, hey, you did a great job serving me and I want to say well done. And so we went through different characters in the Bible, like Paul and Peter, that were great servants. Um, though we also talked about people in our culture, like Billy Graham and um, Brother Lawrence and all these people that have done amazing things and they were faithful servants. Um, and then as I was planning the series, I thought it would be so cool to have someone from Calvary Church come share. So I asked Fred Morse, Pastor Fred Morse, um, many of you know him, I asked him to come share to our group. Yeah. And that's not totally typical. Usually we have kind of the young, fun, kind of hip speakers like Dave come <laughs> share in our group. And uh, That's why I've never been invited. Yeah. No, but uh, we thought it would be cool to have Fred, come share about his story. Fred is, uh, like, what is he, 85 or 89? I have or no something. idea. Older than me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But anyway, I asked him to share, and I said, hey, Fred, you have an amazing story of how you have been faithful to God, but how God has been faithful to you. So Fred came and shared with our group, and it was great, and I feel like the students responded well. But the cool part is, um, months later, we did a focus group with some of our middle school students. We were trying to figure out, what do you like about our group? What is something cool that we've done this year? And a lot of the students said it was really cool when Fred came and shared. Wow. And I wasn't expecting that, but that yeah. was like one of the highlights for them. Um, and then a few weeks ago, Courtney, my associate, was talking with some girls, and they said it was so cool when Fred came and shared because it's neat to have someone that's different kind of come share with our group. You know, they get to hear from me and Courtney a lot, yeah. but it's neat when Fred shared his wisdom. And so I think that's a really cool way to yeah. break down some of those barriers we have because we can be pretty isolated over in the underground and, you know, middle school stay over there. Mm -hmm. um, older people stay over here, you know, like, but it was so cool to kind of bridge that gap. Yeah. And that's something that we really value. And so Thank um, you. we want to do that even today in between yeah, services. Tell us what's gonna happen yeah. So Thursday. just really s simple and small, but we um, are challenging our middle schoolers to serve donuts and coffee to all of you um, as you exit um, this morning and don't wait too long because it might disappear. Those yeah, donut yeah, holes yeah. <laughs> won't okay. last. But just a cool way to say, hey, it's bigger than just us in the underground. The church is all of us together. Yeah, and yeah. so we're better together. Good we love you. it. Thanks for leading our young people. They used to call them junior high students. Now it's middle school. So that's, that's a clarify. Thank you, Josh. Appreciate you. We invite you into this vision statement where we can love like Jesus across every culture and generation. And it's not easy. It's hard. Uh, we'll have something in our hearts that says, oh, I'm not sure I can do that. Oh, I'm too busy. It's too costly. Uh, they're too different. They'll never love me. Don't worry about any of that. Because when you do it, you're just doing God's will. And he invites you to be part of that. Let me show you some of the next steps in your life. Who are you reaching out to? Commit to pray. You've got on the outline that is there a big box. So its box can hold a lot of names. You notice there's a big box here. We invite you to begin to write down, God, who is it that I am called to love like Jesus? 
It might be somebody at work that may be in the other office, the other cubicle. It might be a neighbor down the street, and you sort of uh, looked askance at the way they live their lives. And then maybe you need to write their name down and say, Lord, help me to love like Jesus to those people. Secondly, at Calvary, volunteer to serve. Get involved like yesterday. It was beautiful to see so many people, so many cultures on our own campus serving our Hispanic, the Mandarin, and the rest of us here in the big house. And our community serve beyond our walls and find those avenues and then around the world and opportunities for short and long-term tasks for us that we have serve us. And then finally, we're going to invite you to do something as you have opportunity today. Maybe you don't have enough time, but over here is our prayer point. Many years ago, we began with that first plastic piece that's there with the little white trim around it. We've added, uh, Ryan added a couple of them over there as well. That's our prayer point. And we're putting on there, and you don't have to necessarily say everybody's full name because we don't want to create an embarrassment for anyone, but maybe a first name, maybe initials, some recognition that this is a person that I want us to love like Jesus regardless of their culture, regardless of their generation, regardless of their convictions, regardless of their belief system. I want to be able to love them like Jesus, and I want to pray for them. And sometime during this next song, sometime after this service is concluded, go over there and write their name down. And let's join together and be a body, a family, that truly wants to prayerfully begin to say, God, help my heart to love them like Jesus, regardless of who they are. Let me pray for us. Father God, as we commit to you now this time, we're thankful for the care that you have given to each of us. We're thankful, Lord, that somebody loved each of us that we would know you now. I pray, Lord, that we would love others, that they, Lord willing, would begin to love you back. God, that there would be this kind of spontaneous spiritual combustion that occurs because we are loving like Jesus in cultures and generations that otherwise we might walk by, pass by, not even think about. So God, help us to engage in mighty ways for your sake and your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.